Sorry, that was my bad. Okay. No, 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 that's fine. So you want to do it on one? On one, which I did it after okay. one. That's fine. Oops. All right. All right. Three, two. Welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. Today I'm joined by Nicholas Caesar, a fellow podcaster who was born and raised in northern New Jersey. Today Nick and I go down rabbit holes, talking about the different tastes he has, how he's acquired those tastes, and how he shares those tastes in a variety of ways, including, on his podcast, The Media Obscura Podcast. I should note as well that this episode contains a few more curse words than normally are on the show, so I just thought I'd let you know before we begin. Remember, after today's episode of My Wax Museum, to take five minutes out of your day to listen to someone around you. The people in your life have amazing stories to tell. I promise you won't be disappointed if you just listen for five minutes. Nick Caesar, Nicholas Caesar, welcome to My Wax Museum. Hey, nice to be on the show, man. Thanks. Uh, so, why don't we start with how we know each other? Yeah, sure. So, we met on the Little Gray Boy podcast network, that uh, nifty little group of scamps and other podcasters that have been just kind of chatting and sharing traffic and all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think you're the third person I've recorded with from the network, which oh, is... Oh, no way. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to chat and get to know a few different people. I've talked a lot to... Um, oh, I forget. <laughs> Just think. Uh, <laughs> no, that's totally why cool. am I forgetting his name? Yeah, that, that I chat happens with him to me all like the time. every other time, regardless, yeah. <laughs> Taylor, Taylor Eland. I don't know why I forgot it. Yeah, Taylor <laughs> Eland. I've chatted with him quite a bit and a little yeah. bit um, with a few others as well. But yeah, it's a pretty fun, fun group, eh? And uh, we get to know a few different podcasters in that. So that's where we know each other from. But yeah. uh, originally speaking, where are you from? So I'm actually born and raised in New Jersey, nice okay. part of northern New Jersey in Bergen County, which is just like, I mean, it's your average suburb. It's upper middle class. It's really close to New York City. Right. So you basically grow up next to arguably the best place in the world. I'm sure I just pissed off a ton of people saying that, <laughs> but whatever. So I, I've i never been there. The The furthest uh -huh. east I have ever been is Denver, and that was for a layover. So you're going okay. like, to have to explain a little bit why it's the best place. Well, okay, when we say the best place, we're talking about New York City, right? Not New Jersey. I mean, if that's if that's your opinion, I've never been yeah, to either, I mean, so I can't speak to it. Don't get me wrong; I love New Jersey, and I, I'm like legally obligated to say that because I'm from here. But like, New York City is genuinely just one of the funnest places to go because there's always something to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally the kind of place where you can go get a cup of coffee at like a super you know obscure coffee shop at like three in the morning. As cliche as that sounds. And you'd be surprised how often you may want to do something like that when you're out there. And how um, often do you end up doing that? <laughs> more than more than I probably should. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't spend as much time in the city at night as I used to, simply because I work there. So for me, it's lost its luster in a way, because I'm just in and out of the city every day now. Right. But it, it's one of those things where, like, when I used to go to shows with my friends, we'd be getting out of a show at, like, 10 or 11 o'clock, and we kind of say to ourselves, okay, we can either rush to a train now, get home at 1 a.m., or we could just stay in the city 
and get home whenever, you know? Right. So it was one of those things where it's really easy to get lost in the city and not because you're like physically lost. It's just because you keep finding like weird places to go and explore. So, okay. Uh, tell me, cause I, I feel like when people vacation to New York, uh-huh. they, they go to, you know, Times Square and all the places you see in movies, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, Grand Central Station, the big park, Central Park, uh, mm-hmm. and the Statue of Liberty, things like that. What's something cool that, like, a tourist would have to check out that they normally wouldn't? So what's really great about New York, for me at least, like, my personal favorite thing is just, like, the pop-up scene there. And, you know, they're like those pop-up stores. They appear. They're gone in maybe, like, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two. Mm -hmm. So, like, just finding, like, those really, you know, just short-term events that are happening while you're in the city and taking advantage of those because they're just extremely unique. You know, only so many people will be able to go to this pop-up before it's just gone forever or before it moves to L.A. or something. Right. And um, so... An example, yeah. Yeah, go, no, go for it. Oh, you know, I was just saying, like, an example of a really cool pop-up that I just, I'm so happy that I got to go and experience is one of my favorite bands of all time, The Flaming Lips. They had this pop-up in Brooklyn which was literally just like a fake human head that had been carved out and turned into this area. You can like walk around and take pictures in and stuff. Hmm. And that was, that was for a band. Yeah. And that was just like a band. They were trying to promote their new album that's coming out in a couple of weeks. And they just decided to do this in Brooklyn. That's sweet. That is way cool. So, exactly. so it's a pretty lively place, pretty interesting place. Did you, yeah. did you always love it growing up being in that area? Yeah. So I grew up going to the city, like maybe once a year with my family, my parents right. are both immigrants and like, they never quite got American culture. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they just, they kind of like maintained their own sense of selves. But for me, going to the city was always so cool because you would be in, this one area like you're in Chinatown one minute and it's all just traditional Chinese stuff it's very touristy and then a couple of minutes later you could be in Soho which is like one of the coolest places you'll ever be there's just cool bars everywhere there's all these like really quirky art galleries and stuff and you can just walk around and feel like the culture around you right so what what was your parents perspective like then did they think it was quite (laughs) strange yeah my parents are like for lack of a better term they're very i don't even know how i would describe them they're just very like average people they don't really they're not into art they're not into kind of like waving your freak flag for lack of a better term right so seeing like some of the stuff that i'm into or like some of the things that i gravitate towards is always a bit of a shock to them i think they just don't fully get it necessarily Right, because I, I mean, your your podcast, the Media Obscura podcast, is about these obscure, strange things. Yeah, yeah. And and so, do they kind of, I don't know, is they they just kind of haven't got in gotten into the culture? They just kind of, it's not their thing. Yeah, it's just. I think for them, it's not their thing. It's also the places they're from. My father is Syrian. He comes from syria and my mother is filipino oh wow so yeah i know it's really diverse and i get that a lot um you know but those are both like countries that have like a long history of like forms of totalitarianism and like just very oppressive regimes that ostracize the other 
So, like, for them, it's not that they're trying to reject, like, these more different out-there ideas. Mm-hmm. I think it's just they're raised in an environment where that was, like, kind of frowned upon because it could legitimately get you thrown in prison or killed in some cases. Right. And so then, you know, yeah. And then, like, you have me where I'm raised in, like, a free country and I'm just able to, like, explore whatever I want. I was born in the, like, mid-90s, which means I was literally raised by the Internet. Yeah. So if something, like, piques my interest, I can very easily access every written detail about it of all time, like, ever created. Right. So so with you being able to, quote-unquote, do whatever you want, um, what what were some things that that you did growing up that kind of that kind of showed that? Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I actually don't know how I went about like finding the things that interest me. It just kind of happened. So obviously I mentioned like my parents are both immigrants and they kind of hold on they held on to their own like individual identities once they moved here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously that means that they exposed me to a lot of the things that they liked growing up. So my dad growing up in the Middle East near Russia, near the Soviet Union, he grew up with like a lot of just like outdated, antiquated American merchandise that had more or less kind of just found its way there over the years. Right. So even though he was in his 20s, my dad's a bit older. He was in his 20s in like the 70s, you know. Yeah, like right. the late 70s. Yeah. He still like kind of has this like 1950s sensibility that when I was growing up, he would play a lot of like 50s music or he would watch a lot of like old movies. And that kind of, like, trickled down and gave me that sensibility so that once I was old enough to, like, kind of be my own tastemaker and find my own music and stuff that I liked, I already had this palette of, oh, no, I love 50s rockabilly. Let me go find, like, several modern bands that do this. Right. Or, yeah. Or my dad is a huge Charlie Chaplin fan. Let me go and find, like, similarly tinted material from over the years. And then, sure enough, it's just the way that the Internet is. It's... you find something you digest everything you can related to it and then you find another rabbit hole that's like barely related to it and you just kind of do the same thing over and over again huh so so how would you describe your tastes then okay um hmm. my tastes when it comes to like everything is i just find like on a thematic level i just like kind of this existential idea like i love filmmakers like richard linklater who he makes these movies that are like ostensibly teen comedies like he's the director behind like days of confused boyhood you know like these teen comedies and these teen coming of age movies right but like there's this level of like pathos in them they're just so like emotionally earnest all the characters are confused and they don't get it and that kind of to me it always spoke to me i think it also helps that like two of my favorite movies of his um days and confused and his one of his newer ones everybody wants some they're both effectively period movies like hmm. they take place in the 70s and 80s and that's a time where that's like the time my parents were raised on stuff and that's like the kind of sensibility they imbued in me just because they would listen to like nothing but 80s music growing up so that's automatically my baseline of oh this is what i like right um, and s- in terms of like other stuff, I'm like really huge on just anything that I consider out there for lack of a better term. So like 
stuff like uh, that band I mentioned earlier, the Flaming Lips. Right. They a couple of years ago they actually released a song that was 24 hours long, and it was copied onto a actual human skull. Like they got a real human being skull, put a hard drive in it with this 24 hour song, and they auctioned it on the internet. What? And yeah, exactly. Oh, it's like this awesome. crazy, terrifying, like pretty morbid stuff. But like I've always loved it. I'm a sucker for anything macabre. You know, like Elvira. Oingo Boingo, which is um, the composer Danny Elfman's band from the 80s. Like, just this very strange, almost horror-tinged, but, like, it's comedically done. It's, it's like, very horror comedy. Huh. You know, just anything I consider out there. Right, right. So how do you... I mean, that stuff is really out there, and you're you're introducing me to a whole new world of things. I, you know, <laughs> after when as I'm editing this episode, I'm going to end up making a long list of all the things to Google and look up. Yeah, um, That's how that happens usually, <laughs> right? So how how do you find? How did you find all of these weird little niche things that are so out there and so different? How how do you get into that? I mean, I can't even, like, begin to pretend that I found all this stuff on my own. Uh, a good amount of it is just luck of the draw and having, like, the right people around at the right time. Oh, it just fell on my chair a bit. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, for example, that band, The Flaming Lips. I never found them, and I probably would have never found them had it not been for, like, a couple of guys I knew in high school who were just, they happened to be super into punk rock, and this band had started out as a punk rock band in the 80s. So, like, through that, they were able to find, like, the more out there stuff that they became known for. And by the time I became these guys' friends, they just kind of roped me into it. I took one look at it, and I went, oh, this is cool. This represents something that, like, is compatible with me. Hmm. And then from there, it's just the way that I go about finding these things is legitimately I will, like, go through the liner notes of an album, and I'll read a name. So... For example, the Flaming Lips, they're like longtime producer. His name is like Dave Friedman. So I'll go through the liner notes. I'll read this name and I'll be like, huh, this kind of this name strikes me as something that I can find something interesting from. So I'll literally go ahead. I'll look up Dave Friedman and I'll find out, oh, OK, he was in this band called Mercury Rev. Let me go listen to this. And then if I like it, I'll keep listening and I'll just keep going from there. If I don't, I'll just kind of shrug and go, all right, well, that was an afternoon. I'll never get back. So you, I mean, you talked about the rabbit hole before, so you kind of keep going down it and finding more and <laughs> more, more kind of random, random interesting things. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that game, um, Seven Degrees of Separation. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know the one, yeah. It's a bit like that where, like, I'll find something and then I'll try and, like, tie it around to another idea. So... Um, going back to the Dave Friedman thing. Okay, maybe I got into Dave Friedman and then I'm into his band Mercury Rev. But let's say I'm looking for like a new movie. Now I'll just actually type in like Dave Friedman or Mercury Rev movie. And then I'll find like a movie with one of their songs in it. Or I'll find maybe one of them like did a soundtrack for a movie. And I'll just kind of use Google to just help navigate my way into finding more specific things. But it's still almost randomized. Right, right. So what what would you say is the most random, obscure, but interesting thing you have ever found? Oh, man, that's pretty tough. Um, 
most obscure but interesting. So I'm not a huge anime fan by like any stretch of the word. There are a right. handful of shows that I like, but one of my all-time favorite TV shows of any kind is the anime Cowboy Bebop. Okay. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's basically about bounty hunters in space. It's exactly how I think a Han Solo movie should have been, if that means anything at all. Yeah. Okay. And super influential show, really popular back in the day. It was like a late 90s thing. But the best episode of it, if you ask me, never came out. It, um they had basically canceled the show halfway through its run and the creators of the show were allowed to use stock footage from the previously released episodes to kind of create like a clip show almost saying goodbye to the show and with it they created this weird monologue it's like a 30 minute monologue of the characters seemingly just rambling about random things but it's actually like the entire philosophical perspective of the creators of the show and it's them trying to, like, create this metaphor for what the show tried to accomplish before it was canceled. That's awesome. I'm going yeah. to have to first watch the show and then second <laughs> watch the monologue now. Yeah, it's definitely, it's an interesting thing. And, like, the show came back. They ended up finishing the show without any problems. Right. But that, that document, that, like, quote-unquote unreleased episode is one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. And the fact that, like, it isn't widely available just adds to this, like... It just gives it this mystique where, like, oh, if you want to find this, you have to dig around Reddit for, like, 30 minutes and just happen to get lucky and find a link. Right. Or stuff like that. I think there's also something like the Reddit community tried to reverse engineer the episode at one point. So because it's a clip show, they were like, well, what if we just got the HD footage and put it together again? So there's, like, this whole other aspect where they're, like, trying to preserve this work of art, even though nobody really knows it's a thing. That's just, it's such a romantic idea, and it's something that I love, like, insanely, just the, the concept of trying to do that. Right. And that's that's something that's always impressive about the internet is the ability to bring people together. I mean, like I said, I've never been to your part of the world right yeah uh but we've been able to communicate and it's actually ultimately through reddit that we all kind of got that's right yeah i think the group came together from reddit yeah so it's it's interesting how how things kind of come together that way and Mm -hmm. and how the internet internet provides that i especially think it's funny how you describe searching around for a long time and then immediately say like 30 minutes on reddit (laughs) <laughs> as if that's a long time of searching. Yeah. I mean, in, in 2019, isn't it kind of? <laughs> it, it totally is, right? Like, and so it's it's a different world we live in, for sure. Yeah. So, that's something that I was like, I mean, this is a little unrelated, but that's something that I was just thinking about the other day, even. Like, I got a mid-roll ad on a YouTube video, and it was like a 20-second advertisement. And I just kind of stopped, and I was like, this is a really long ad. And then I realized, like, no... A decade ago, I would have sat through five minutes of commercials every 15 minutes, and I wouldn't have, like, batted an eyelash at it. Right? Yeah, it's it's totally different. It's a totally different time. It's that information cost, right? Yeah. And uh, Definitely yeah. one of those, like, interesting things you always find yourself just thinking about. Right, how times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would you say, uh, getting kind of more into the present day portion of our show what what's something that 
is the biggest change between your life as a kid and your life now that you've seen? Um, I'd say like time management, probably. Hmm. You know, I I grew up, I was an only child. Oh, I am an only child. So I grew up and I just had time. If I wanted to do something, I didn't have to worry about having to share my N64 with a sibling or something. If I wanted to play video games, guess what? I'm just going to go play video games. If, you know, even more like thinking about more productive things, when I was in high school, I would often hear like my siblings or not my siblings. I would often hear like my friends talking about like, oh, I wish I got to do this, this and that. But I have to go to my sister's like dance recital or I have to like celebrate my brother's birthday or all these like things that take up time. And I would often be like, well, that sucks. I'm an only child. So if I want to spend like my entire night painting, guess what? I'm just going to spend my night painting. Hmm. That's never a thing, you know. Um, right. But like even even for me, like what changed is once I got out of school and just, you know, got a full time job and stuff like that, my ability to suddenly go, you know what? I think I will watch like an entire season of a TV show tonight. It is just kind of disappeared. And for me, <laughs> that was like a total shock to my system where it's like, shit, my time is actually worth something now. Like, right. I need to actually delegate my time. I need to make sure that I'm completing everything on time so that I can have one night to paint this week or I can have one night to work on my podcast or write a script or something. Right. And how have you, how have you come to come to actually do that time management and actually get those things done? Um, Well, this is something that I'm still working on and it's definitely not perfect, but Mm -hmm. the way that I've kind of gone about it is I've always been bad with time management And that just I think that kind of goes down to like that whole rabbit hole thing I was discussing earlier, because even when I'm working on a deadline and I need to get an edit completed and I need to create the best project I can. If I start to like daydream about like, oh, what if I edited this scene in this style? Like, it's the same thing. I'll go down a rabbit hole and I'll waste all of my time. Right. So the way that I've kind of started to get around that is. I've been trying to micromanage my time to like the millionth degree, like break down every detail I can in as much detail as possible. And then I know for a fact that like, I'm not going to follow. Like I know myself well enough to know that two thirds of the time I may not follow my own like budgeting of time, but like that one third, hopefully that's just enough to hold things together. You hope. And so far so good. I mean, it's a really flawed idea. Like, let me meticulously create a schedule for myself, but it's so meticulous that when two-thirds of it fails, I still get through it. Right, you still get something done. Yeah, exactly. It's weirdly counterintuitive. Does does it affect your, I don't know, your confidence in your ability to get things done, though, when you see that you have yet to accomplish most of the things that you set out to accomplish? Oh, totally. And so how do, how do you get through that? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I'm only human, right? So, um, yeah, no, that's exactly what would happen to me. Like last year, you know, I was working on a web series with um, with a co- with the co-host of my podcast, one of my childhood best friends, and this like the idea for this web series had come together from about like a total of five people was ostensibly mm-hmm. like the cast and like the creators of the show and stuff, but through some chain of events, it was my show to write my show to direct, my show to be in, like I was one of the characters in it, 
and then mm-hmm. my show to actually like edit upload just everything I, I ostensibly did everything and then everyone would show up on the day and we would do the takes and mm-hmm. I love that I love the idea mm-hmm. of being a one-man band I'm a narcissist I guess and it just totally brings me joy but it's one of those things where exactly like what you said, like there's so many tasks and I don't accomplish a lot of them or I don't accomplish a lot of them to the level that I know I can accomplish them to. Right. Just because there aren't enough hours in the day and it's totally debilitating. It is um, it is a huge knock on my self-confidence to put up with the fact that like, oh, I created this eight minute, you know, episode of a web series and um. It's pretty good, but like maybe with a couple more weeks behind it, we could have actually made something special. Right. So, are you? Would you say you're a perfectionist then? Um. Yes and no. I think I start off with the intention of being a perfectionist, and I think that a lot of creative people do like to fancy themselves a perfectionist. But I also think like a lot of people get to a point where they're just looking at something and they go, "Yeah, this will do." Um, right. Let me just finish this. Hopefully, no one will notice. Um, all these like tiny clerical errors in it or something you know and by and large i think like a lot of people usually don't notice this stuff um like i watch a lot of the same movies over and over again because i'm a sucker for like analyzing a scene and just digest uh not digecting dissecting everything like as well as i can right and like i'll notice a lot of tiny errors that made it into like movies and stuff and i won't care but i also know that no one else has seemingly noticed these things because it doesn't matter I also understand the fact that, like, being a perfectionist is a kind of futile effort, at least for me. Yeah, because you're going to make mistakes anyways. Yeah, there's no such thing as, like, perfect art. At the end of the day, it's just creating something that's good enough. And good enough might still be revolutionary, or it may still, like, captivate and entertain a million people, you know what I mean? Right, and then a million people might all the same think it's trash. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think that's just something you have to learn to be okay with. Absolutely. So what is what is one thing that you look at that you've created, that you've worked really hard on, and you look at and you say, I did that well, and I'm really, really proud of that? So for me, it would be one of two short films that I made my senior year in college. Actually, eh, yeah, yeah, it would be one of two short films. So both of them have like very similar stories. They were pet projects of mine, they were vaguely inspired by like things I had gone through or experienced at some point. And they were both cases where I just, I was getting close to a deadline and I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a script. I didn't have a cast or anything. And they're both cases where I threw myself in the project because inevitably I, I end up being in a lot of my own stuff a lot more than I would personally like to be. I don't fancy myself like a good actor or anything, but I've always sort of had to be on camera simply because it's like a requirement, you know, like there just isn't right. anybody else. Um, yeah. And like over the years, I've come to like seriously respect acting and like the craft of it. I actually took like a ton of acting classes in college and met some of my closest friends in the process. But these two projects in particular, like I got down to the wire. I didn't know what I was going to do. And literally like maybe two or three days before I was supposed to shoot both of these short films, I just sat down one night and wrote the entire script. And um, in the case of one film, I like went back to it a couple of times and actually cleaned it up. And then in the case of a different film, I actually just said, no, this is it. Like 
first draft, final draft, sort of. We're going to do this, like, punk rock style, and we're not going to clean it up. And through the process of just, like, getting something written on a piece of paper, giving it to the people I eventually found to be in it and all that stuff, like, it was a super cathartic thing. I was so happy. And then, like, sitting down and editing it, I was able to find ways to just kind of, like, riff on ideas. So, for me, just the process of working on these two films... It, it was, like, actually really similar to painting, almost. Um, I think a lot of people view, like, movie making and, like, storytelling or anything, any kind of content creation, as, like, this highly collaborative process where you got to be in sync with everyone you're working with. And it totally is like that. But sometimes you're just kind of creating a baseline where you're just, like, I don't know how familiar you are with painting. But sometimes when you're, like, painting, you might actually just, like, put down a solid color just across the whole thing. It's just the background color, right? And sometimes you may do that without knowing what you're actually about to paint. You might just feel like, okay, maybe I'll put a blue background on whatever I end up making. So it's a, it's a bit like that where just being able to write that script, being able to set down that blue background, gave me the opportunity to step back and then from there figure everything else out. And it's just one of the most satisfying feelings when you have the worst writer's block you'll ever get seemingly and you just find a way to break through it almost by accident so with that with that writer's block you overcame it you sat down one night and you and you worked through it so even though it kind of was right close to the deadline how did it become something that you're so proud of um it's it kind of goes back to that whole rabbit hole thing like for me it's just pulling from whatever i'm interested in interested in at the moment so my problem with the second short I was describing earlier, the one where I just wrote one draft and called it a day, my problem was that I knew what I wanted to write about, and I knew, like, I kind of had an idea of the cadence of the piece, but I just didn't have... It's almost like trying to communicate with someone when you don't know their language. Like It's like being in Paris and not knowing a lick of French. So for me, I was just, like, racking my brain, and I was getting really frustrated with the fact that, like, I know the exact feelings I'm trying to describe. I know I have some idea of, like, how I want to do it, but I actually can't convey any of this. And that whole rabbit hole thing is basically what saved my life because I just have, like, I'm basically a walking encyclopedia of useless information, you know? Right, So yeah. I automatically was, like, just racking my brain for anything that could, like, kickstart my ability to think creatively just kickstart the right side of my brain and I eventually like settled on what's known as the cut-up technique which is like a writing technique that was pioneered by William Burroughs in like the 50s or 60s and the whole idea was basically just writing down a bunch of random words putting them in a hat and then just pulling out like three words at a time and using it to make a sentence huh and, like, for me, that, like, that sounds, like, inherently, like, useless almost, right? Like, right. why would you do that? It sounds more like a party game than a way to actually write something. But I had been racking my brain. I was so stressed. And I just kind of said eventually, whatever, I'll do it. Who cares? And I did it. And I ended up just getting, like, a series of words that I ended up not using. Like, I wrote the sentence and I just discarded that thing. But... It got me thinking outside of the box and like, okay, I have this one sentence. I don't know. We could literally do like one right now where it's like, tell. let's say I put my, you know, I put a bunch of words in a hat and I pulled three out and it's like, 
telephone, skateboard, and lampshade or something. Right. You could tell I'm like clearly looking around the room. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> so like, okay, we would just write a sentence using those words. Um, I answered the phone riding my skateboard down the street and got hit by a lampshade that fell out the window. And it like happens. that's it happens. It's a horrible thing. It's striking a lot of Americans in need and it we we got to do something about it as a nation. But like even just having that useless sentence written down somewhere, I can kind of look at that and go, "Well, where was this guy going? Like why was he was he skateboarding like he was in a rush to get somewhere? Why didn't right. he stop to answer the phone?" Like there's all these like other questions. And then from there, you can like, "Okay, maybe he was rushing to the hospital because his best friend uh, got in a motorcycle accident, and the irony is that he wasn't paying attention because he was worried with his about his friend, so he got clipped in the head by a lampshade. Right. You know, so like suddenly we can just flesh something out from there, and that aha moment when it's like, oh shit, everything's clicking into place. I can actually tell a story now, even if it is like just a small scene in a larger story that we'll take out later. Right. The aha moment is everything because it means suddenly you don't have writer's block anymore. You can right. just do whatever and then chisel it down if you need to. Right. And you keep going and going and going. Right. Exactly. It's kind of like working with like a stone slab. You know, you start off with this huge intimidating block and just over time you're, you're able to refine it into something that'll go in a museum one day. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're good with that sort if, of if thing. If you're good at it. I mean... <laughs> Honestly, I just I start with a stone slab and I end up with pebbles. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I get smaller stone slabs. Yeah, I get small stone slabs. Yeah. No, but it's it's interesting uh that theme of rabbit holes. So, looking at looking at your life now, uh how mm-hmm. rabbit holes have kind of benefited you in the past and maybe taken you into weird places in the past, looking at it now, uh what are some rabbit holes you're going down? <laughs> I don't get to go down quite as many as I used to, but um, I'm currently, so once I graduated college, I started doing a lot of like freelance video editing. I worked with some like fairly big YouTube channels and local businesses to help create content for them. And I'm still doing that, which takes up like the vast majority of my time. But these days I'm finding that itch to be a creator again. I kind of, I've spent the past year like trying to put it behind me and almost telling myself like, no, it's cool that you want to be creative. It's cool that you want to write and you want to be a photographer and paint and do everything you can get your hands on, but you need to pay bills. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to a point where I'm like getting tired of telling myself that. So I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of like starting to text some of my old contacts. I'm telling like, for example, um, I'm still friends with like two of the castmates from the web series I did. And like, right. I was talking to them and I was like, would it be so terrible if we brought the show back? And they were just like, well, we could. Um, we, we would be out like one of the best characters in the show because we don't talk to her anymore, you know? Right. But like, that's fine. How would you work around it? And I'm like, well, okay. For me, I don't care about the missing character. I can write a new character. That's not a problem. Yeah. Um, the problem for me is like the amount of hours that goes into creating one of these. So how can we simplify creating sketch comedy videos down to the bare essentials and they're like well you would need a sketch you would need actors and you would need a video and suddenly i'm like no 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 we don't need the video let's let's adapt the sketch series into a stage thing because suddenly we're not putting in 12 hours to edit a single video 
we're just right. going and performing it after a few rehearsals. This isn't like I'm not trying to create any kind of calling card for myself. I'm just doing this for the sake of expression. Hmm. So one of the projects I'm trying to get off the ground right now is I'm trying to adapt. Like we we had, I think we got we filmed eleven episodes and released nine of that web series, but in terms of the number of scripts that I got to write for that, it's like 20 to 30 scripts. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I'm crazy, and like I'll be walking down the street, and I'll look at something, and I'll go, oh, there's a sketch in this, you know, so I'll right. go out and I'll write it. So now for me, it's like sifting through all of these scripts, taking out characters that I don't think are necessary, just stripping it down to like the bare essentials, and then adapting it for stage, because I want to do them as isolated scenes at like community theaters and stuff like that that's kind of where my brain is right now um i love that yeah i think there's just something really fun about it i mean once again i'm not doing it necessarily for the audience's sake although i do want it to be presentable to them of course Um, i'm I'm doing it for myself and like because i think self-expression is the single most important thing like anyone can ever do in their life even like someone who doesn't call themselves creative like they have a means of self-expression. Hmm. Um, on top of that, I, I'm trying to get back into music. I used to, <laughs> I used to actually record music. I was in a band for a minute and it never went anywhere. We actually had our like Beatles self-destruction moment, like before we ever got to record anything. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> and that ended up like that whole experience turned into me recording an album's worth of music over a summer. And, like, these days I'm, like, curiously starting to listen to some of it, and I'm trying to figure out, like, oh, can I maybe just pick five of these songs and, like, actually do them justice somewhere and maybe use it? Right. Um, so, like, I'm always trying to work on new projects on top of, you know, those two. Um, obviously there's the podcast, which we're trying to just, like, we're trying to keep going with that because genuinely that's just been so much fun. I have so much fun hanging out with like my buddy and doing the show because it's literally just two hours of improv a week you know right i mean i'm sure like if you if anyone ever listens to the show yeah we talk about movies and tv shows and stuff but like more often than not it just devolves into like 1930s vaudeville acts or something yeah the movies and tv shows are the smallest part of the show i've listened to a few of them exactly it's just kind of like something to get the ball rolling on a conversation and like I love my co-host a bit. He's one of my oldest friends on the planet, but like he isn't like the best public speaker. Like he's actually like really self-conscious about public speaking sometimes. And like the fact that we're talking about a movie is just there to help him get out of his head almost. Right. Right. It's interesting though, different ways you can kind of move people out and everybody has a different thing. I've had some people mm-hmm. on here who will stand in front of a camera and they'll talk to the camera and then as soon as they get in front of my, one of my microphones, they just kind of freeze up and they think, well, I don't know. What do I say? What do I do? How do I work with this? Right? No, I totally get that. And it's just different um, for everybody. Yeah, I actually. So as if this wasn't obvious from like the past 40 minutes of conversation, I'm a huge movie guy and a huge music guy. Mm-hmm. But I actually was the shyest kid growing up. I, I still am like extremely shy on most days. But like if you put a camera on me growing up or like, even if you know me and we're hanging out in person and you're just doing like an Instagram live, you will actually see me like die a little inside. 
Hmm. Um, because I just hate it. I, I like am not camera friendly at all. But yeah. like, ironically enough, I studied film and like, wh- I love performing. I just don't like doing it in front of a camera. So that whole thing of like needing to get out of your own head is something I totally relate to. Right, right. And everybody has their own way of doing it, right? Yeah, exactly. For me, it's just trying to be like the biggest narcissist I can when I'm on camera. Um, <laughs> just be, it's, just be as big-headed as possible. Yeah, it's almost like a caricature. Like the way that I act on the podcast is, it's kind of accurate. Like that is essentially how me and my buddy hang out. Like that's how we act when we hang out in person. Right. But like, it is amplified somewhat just because it's like, oh, I'm not do, I'm not on camera. I'm playing a character at this point. You know, I'm I'm a caricature of myself. I'm just right. I'm playing up the the aspects of myself that I may dislike because I want them to be overblown and funny. Right, right. All for the sake of comedy. Yeah, definitely. Comedy and self-expression, that's what it's all about for me. Right. So how do you um going going forward in the future, you have a few projects going on. Um but let's say maybe let's start with 20 years down the road. Okay. 20 years down the road. Uh, I'm assuming you'd be 40 something. Yeah, and, 40. Uh, <laughs> getting yeah. getting up there. And <laughs> yeah. uh, so so you're in your 40s then and and you're looking back, what are some ways that you have maybe self-expressed in your 40s? So, okay, so like when I'm 40 and leading up to it. Well, leading up to it, I think it's just doing what I'm doing now. It's continuing to put the work in to pay the bills wherever I may need to, you know, whether that's working mm-hmm. as a editor somewhere, maybe that's writing for somebody, whatever that doesn't matter, but it's making sure that I have time to write a song when I need to write a song or that I have the time and energy to go shoot a video or do whatever. And then by the time I'm 40, I mean, by the time I'm 40, I see myself like being married, having a kid, living in the suburbs, Mm -hmm. just kind of waiting to die, for lack of a better term. That early. eh? But, like, by then I would have this, like, I I would hope at least that I would have this zen where I could, like, hang out with my kid all the time and not feel, like, compulsively needed. Like, I wouldn't feel, like, the compulsive need to go write a song or paint something. Hmm. Um, And then at that point it's just a matter of, like, knowing – hey, if I ever actually want to step out and film something, I'll go ahead and do that. Um, And even then, like, I know myself, and, like, I know that I'm always kind of, like, driven to do something creative. So knowing me, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to be working on, like, a, ta- a time capsule movie or something. That that was actually an idea I um, I had pitched to my co-host after we recorded our last podcast, where I was like, hey, what would happen if we just filmed, like... We would do what, like, Richard Linklater did with the movie Boyhood, where basically he would film for, like, a week with the same cast every year for 12 years and then turn it into a movie. Right. And I was like, well, what if we did that? What if we actually shot, like, a third of a movie now, and then in 10 years we would write the second third of it and film it, and then another 10 years later we would finish the movie and just wait until, like, we retire and watch the whole thing? Right. And, like, even saying that now, I realize, like, I never mentioned, like, oh, this is how our audience should check this out. Like, I I never even begin to think about, like, oh, 
are people going to want to watch this? Are people going to be into this? No, like that doesn't matter to me. I'm doing it specifically for myself and just because I think it's like a cool idea. You br- you bring up something interesting that doing it for yourself. Um do you feel uh do you feel like most of your creative projects are just for yourself? Yeah, at this point they really are really they're just for myself at this point. I mean like with mm-hmm. the podcast and the stuff that I actually like share with people. Yeah, I mean, it is intended to entertain people. Like, I'm doing the podcast, and I'm paying the hosting for the podcast because, like, if people are into it and they're enjoying it, more power to them. But for me, one of the most important lessons that I ever learned as a creative person of any dissertation, you know, it's that you got to like what you're doing, and if you're doing something for other people, you're going to – you're just going to hate it. You're going to hate every second of it. You're going to hate the things that you love. You know, I've done so many projects where, like, I've edited, like, a video for, like, two months straight for a client. And, like, it started off with the noblest of intentions, and I was so into the project. But just over time, because it became less my project and it became someone else's thing, I just started to resent not just, like, this project. I resented the medium of video in that case. And, like, you know, that's different. That's client. That's for a client. So, like, at the end of the day, I'm not going to have final cut on that. That's fine. But I've been in situations over the years where I was working on stuff for myself that slowly became a project for other people. Um, Hmm. I was – this is, like, already nearing a decade ago. But, like, when I was in high school, I was a Machinima.com partner. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. but Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, so I was actually, like, one of their partners. I would post gaming videos on their channel. And, like, you know, it was pretty fun at first. I was, like, really happy about it. I was getting paid to make YouTube videos, more or less, which is every kid's dream. But over time, the stress came in because, like, I myself, I had grown past the kind of videos I was making. And I wanted to do stuff that, like, was a bit more creative or... I wanted to, I was a a video game commentator, so I did, like, commentary videos. I wanted to talk about stuff besides, like, how to kick ass at this video game for the millionth time in a row. Like, I wanted to talk about, like, out there things. Like, kind of the stuff that I get into on the podcast when I go on tangents. And that, like, tore me apart, because I would, like, do that, and these videos would underperform. People would leave just such hateful and hurtful comments on them, and I would just be like, oh, man... Like, that's bad for me. (laughs) That's terrible for my self-esteem. Crap. (laughs) Um, And it kind of, like, it culminated in me eventually just going, well, I could just make these videos for myself. I mean, I'll post them online, but, like, I'm going to do it because it makes me happy. Because there's this deeply satisfying feeling when I complete a video or when I edit something that I'm really just proud of. You know, I just do it for myself. Right. Right. There's a there's a special satisfaction to that. Yeah, exactly. I, I think like on some level it reminds me of like David Bowie before he passed away. He was doing mm-hmm. like his last two albums, The Next Day and um Black Star. Not commercial albums by any stretch of the word. You know? David Bowie had disappeared for like over a decade at that point. No one he wasn't putting out music or touring. And then he puts out these two just phenomenal experimental creative projects 
And like, yeah, they got critical acclaim and stuff, but you could really tell with them that if they hadn't, if they had been hated, like he would have shrugged and been like, all right, cool. Right. Kind of like, um, there was also like a Metallica record that was done with Lou Reed from the velvet underground. And like that thing came out and nobody liked it. Everyone hated it. The press totally tore it apart. But like, and I'm not even a Metallica fan, but I love Lou Reed. And if you put that album on, even though it isn't like good by any, like the lyrics are kind of weird. They're not that great, but like you hear it and you can hear the labor of love in it. And that kind of validates its existence. Right. So for me, I've always just held on to that. It's like, even if I make something that nobody likes, someone will eventually recognize like the actual inspiration behind it. They'll recognize the fact that I gave a fuck about it. Right. They'll see that you care. That yeah. You, that you really wanted to actually do it. That there was like something in me that just compelled me to make this. You know, it's not like some. It's not like some product that I was. I woke up and it's like, oh, it's Monday morning. I'm gonna record this podcast and I'm gonna do such and such. Like, no, it's just it's open minded. It's whatever it needs to be at the moment. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's fantastic. To kind of wrap it up here. Um, I have one last question for you. When when you're, say, 80 to 100 years old, you're an old man, you're right at the end, you watched that video you made with Mike, the uh, time capsule movie. Uh, what else are you looking back on in your life, and what are you most proud of? Well, for one, the fact that I didn't get bored of it over the course of, like, 30 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's a good place to start. Um I think just like the part that I would be proud of is just seeing the progression of things. Like for me, I I like to revisit a lot of my old projects, even now, like I'll revisit stuff a year later and I'll be like, Oh God, Nick, you were sloppy a year ago. You could, you could do so much better. Go open the project and clean it up. And I think like as an 80 year old guy, just watching essentially my development over my entire life, I, I could only imagine that the thing going through my mind watching all of that and the thing that will make me feel proud is just watching the growth and also having like a deeply intimate portrait, even if it's like a completely fictionalized story or a comedy or something, there's always mm-hmm. going to be that little nugget of truth in it, you know? So mm-hmm. like having something documented somewhere that is in theory a timeless document of who I was at a particular moment in time, ideally it would be that. You know, and having this right. thing in my hands or in the cloud because it's going to be in the future. And just being able to, like, die knowing, like, okay, if if my wife is still around and she misses me or she misses, like, something we did, like, 30 years ago, she can open this movie and see me as I was 30 years ago and go, God, that guy's an idiot. I miss him. <laughs> you know? Or, like, even... That's awesome. Yeah, even the idea of, like... And this is something that's inspired vaguely by, like, something I experienced. But, like, even the idea of having, like, great-grandkids one day and then having their, like, grandmother or my daughter or whatever, like, come up to them with this movie and go, you know, this is your great-grandfather. He was a weird dude. He was a draft dodger. He um, made a movie. He never released it, but um, he made it. So, um, here, we're going to watch this tonight. And just being able to, like, have them experience like something they don't understand 
you know, almost as right. if like their own little rabbit hole of, oh, this is what life was like in 2050. Let me go learn about life in 2050. Right. And um, that's something that I would look forward to, even though I wouldn't be around for it. It's also something that I vaguely experienced um, visiting my mom's family in the Philippines and walking around like areas that had been occupied by the Japanese during World War Two, you know, and like hearing stories about how like, oh, yeah, your grandpa was like around back during this. And he like walked down these streets while it was occupied by like the Japanese and stuff. And like for me, just having that set my imagination on fire and just trying to imagine what that's like. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it keeps you up at night. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I, I think I, I, I think I'm with you there on that being able to, I, I like how you said how you'd look forward to it despite you not being there. Um, yeah. For your I mean, grandchildren or great grandchildren to see that. Yeah. I think it is like kind of as sappy as it might come across as like, one of the things I love about being able to make anything now with other people, like creating a short film or the podcast or whatever, it's such a valuable or such like a fulfilling thing to me because like it isn't just important to me, you know, mm -hmm. like Mike and I can joke all we want about like the podcast and how it's a waste of time or whatever. But I know that he enjoys doing it as much as I do. And I know that when we're not hanging out, like he's talking about the podcast with people or that he's going to talk about it with someone because he had just so much fun doing it. Right. You know? Like other people's satisfaction on some level is important to me, even if I am doing something for myself. Right. Right. It kind of amplifies it. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your life with me. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to chatting more in the future. Yeah. Anytime, man. It was a lot of fun. And thank you for listening. Not just to this podcast, but to the people around you, the people in your life. It's always nice to see how how much of an important role the people play in our lives. When we think back, when we think back to the good times, it's always about the people. So maybe take five minutes today to listen to someone around you. You'll be amazed at the stories you hear, you'll be amazed at what you learn, and perhaps at the people you become friends with. Part of the Little Grey Boy Podcast Network. Listen to other shows on the network, including the Media Obscura Podcast. Hi, and welcome to a plug for the Media Obscura podcast. What? I know, you thought I was just going to start an episode, but this That's is a plug. So weird. Yeah. Hi, everybody. This is not the podcast you thought you'd be listening to right now. It's a plug for a different one, but we'll, we'll let you get to your show really soon, I promise. My name is Nick. This is my faithful co-host, Mike. Hey. He isn't allowed in the state of Utah for reasons that I can't even fully disclose. No, you can't. I just don't understand them, it's honestly. Illegal. So anyway, on our show, we check out old and obscure retro movies... And we talk about them. Now, I know you're wondering, well, who are you to consider something obscure? You know, what, what's obscure? Well, honestly, yeah. <laughs> it's an excuse for us to watch just the weirdest stuff we can get our hands on, as well as a couple of old classics, and then banter about it. So if that's your cup of tea and you want to check it out, give us a listen. Of course. And uh, here's, here's your show. And bye. Love you.